0: You're listening to the Upper Room Frisco Podcast. To learn more about UR Frisco, please visit UpperRoomFrisco.com. Well, happy Third Advent Sunday, uh, as the Latin folk call it, (laughs) Gaudete, I think that's how you say it, Gaudete Sunday, which uh, is like an imperative that is inviting, almost in a commanding kind of way, to rejoice, like... joy to the world kind of rejoice, and um, it, so today is a particularly joyful occasion, but I know sometimes it's, um, it's easier than others to genuinely rejoice or shout for joy, but I want you guys to know, like personally, this year, like all the, all the prophecies of Jesus' first coming and the verses about his birth story, they've just, they've come alive, for me this year in a new way, and I've been so exhilarated just reading through them and I say that because it's not necessarily like that every year and although I'm thankful for these verses, these verses are amazing it doesn't mean that I'm always as thrilled and that's probably more of an indictment on you know the fickleness of my own heart because obviously this advent season is always worthy to be celebrated, but um, I just want you guys to know that for me, and I hope I hope it's like this for you this year, these verses have been like warm coffee on a cold morning, and they've just been awakening me. I think that in the U.S. or in, um, you know, particularly Christian Christianized countries, it's easy to become really accustomed to all these stories. And we can have a tendency to boil down this season to a bunch of sentimentalities. Um, And being sentimental about the season isn't necessarily bad, but what I want us to do is to try to avoid losing that exhilarating, invigorating, electrifying nature of it all. I want us to be stirred and transfixed and stunned all over again by this astounding good news. Amen? I believe that right now there is a great cloud of witnesses looking down on us, or looking in at us, or we might even be surrounded by them. I don't know how it all works, like the spiritual realms and how they overlap, but I believe this great cloud of witnesses is getting so excited because they know that we're about to get so excited. You know, when I've seen a a movie before, it's easy for me to become like a walking spoiler, you know, and have that, been there, seen that attitude, but there's something about the incarnation that makes it like it's new, like the first time every time. Or or I'm looking at these verses and inviting the Holy Spirit and I'm seeing treasures in there that for some reason I've never seen before. Is, Is scripture ever like that for you guys? I feel like that's a universal thing where there are these moments when these scriptures are breathed on by the Holy Spirit. And I'm just in one of those seasons, and I'm happy about it. Um, Ashley recently saw a highly anticipated movie, a blockbuster by the name of Dune without me. (laughs) And I'm fine. (laughs) She went with a friend and I'm fine, uh, even though I think there's something in our wedding vows about us watching blockbusters together. I forgave her. (laughs) I'm just playing. I'm really okay. But what really stood out to me is that when she came home, she was so excited. She was raving about this movie. She was enlivened by it. And um, that's special for her because she's, she's a film major. That's what she went to school for. Uh, she's a, a lifelong book nerd and loves stories and has seen like all the movies. She's the kind of girl who can predict the end of the plot from the beginning. And, um, and when she came home so excited, I saw that wonder in her re- rekindled, that creativity was rekindled. And she wanted to take me to the theater again so that she could experience it again and she could watch me experience it for the first time. You know, news about great things is kinda like that. You've been messed up and exhilarated by this good news, but somehow when you see someone else discover it for the first time, it becomes all new again to you. And I feel like that's what the great cloud of witnesses are experiencing as we're discovering these excellencies of Christ in this season. But I want you guys to know that um, this Christmas might feel like a Christmas movie and it might feel stale to you. Or it might feel like you've been there, seen that, and I want you to know that that's okay. It's okay because I know the one who has the ability to light our hearts up again and rekindle them. And sometimes that happens when we least expect it or when we feel like we deserve it the least. But although we know the end of the story that happened 2,000 years ago, something that really excites me is that we don't know the end of the unfolding story of his return. We are in this incredible season called the, the in between. I, I forgot how the Latin pronounce it, but I think it's like Anc Betou. Like, <laughs> maybe that's the French. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> So right now, in this season, we get, to, we get to look back and see the most incredible historical event, which is the birth and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. But we also, right now, we get to look around and see how the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is continually coming in new ways in our life, and we get to look forward in happy anticipation for Christ's return. So, Father, right now, we invite you. To light our hearts on fire again and enliven our spirits, Holy Ghost, with the excellencies of Christ's incarnation and his constant abiding and his return. Amen. Last week we talked about John the Baptist heralding the coming of the Lord, and I want to continue and dig a little bit deeper this week, so please turn with me to John chapter 1. I love the book of John. So the, uh, the synoptic gospels, as you know, are Matthew, Mark, Luke, because they are so similar. And then John comes along, and he just has to be more creative than everybody and just go completely off script and tell things from his side. And so it's not considered a synoptic gospel. It's, it shows some of these stories from a completely different angle, and there's a lot of special things in John that aren't in other books, and it's one of the reasons why it's probably my favorite book. So this is verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was with god in the beginning through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made keep going in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind go on the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it and then verse 6 says there was a man sent from god whose name was john so we jumped from the savior of the world the son of god being with the father the son of the father being together from before creation the one who made everything we jump from jesus to John the Baptist. This is particularly interesting because the, gene- like the, the gospels have genealogies in them. Matthew takes uh, Jesus' backstory all the way back to Abraham, and Luke goes back to Adam, but John skips from the Father and the Son before creation straight to John the Baptist. This writer, he, he skips the patriarchs. He doesn't even mention Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He goes from Jesus to John the dunker like this guy, John the Dunker is a good man. He is a big deal. It doesn't bother you if I call him John the Dunker. That's what Baptist literally means, baptismo. Like dunk, you've been dunked, baptismo. So I, Jesus comes along and he just verifies again that there's no one like John the Baptist. If you look in Matthew eleven eleven, you don't have to turn there, I'll just tell you Jesus says this most perplexing thing. He says, among those born of women, no one has arisen who is greater than John the Baptist. I tell you the truth. He who is in the kingdom is greater than he. This is a, it's a very interesting verse. As Jesus is saying, among those born of women, that's interesting phrasing, right? Who isn't born of women? Um, I mean, Adam, okay, so there's a, there's a race between whether Adam or John the Baptist are greater, but between John the Baptist and Adam, there's, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. He's just this amazing dude that Jesus is telling us, who tells no lie. He's saying this, he's greater than the patriarchs. He's greater than anyone who has come along. Then he says something else interesting. He says, but he who's least in the kingdom is greater than he. Does anybody in here feel like they might be the least in the kingdom? That you've been born of the spirit? You've been born again? Because you're not just born of woman. You're not born from the will of your husband or born of the flesh, you've been born of the spirit. So what Jesus is telegraphing to us in this verse is he's saying that John the Baptist is the greatest man who ever was but anyone who's received my Holy Spirit is better. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm greater than John the Baptist. I dare you. (laughs) See, y'all thought I was telling the truth until I made you do it. Then it feels like, oh, wow. Wow, that's deep. Well, let's read on. This is verse seven. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Now skip down to verse 19. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He didn't fail to confess, but freely confessed, I'm not the Messiah, guys. And then they asked him, well, who are you? Are you Elijah? Now, that's a crazy question to ask. They're literally like in front of a bunch of people. They're asking, him, are you a dead saint who's returned from the grave? <laughs> I mean, That's just how much power this guy had on his voice. That's how much notoriety he had. That's how much fame was being drawn to him. It said that all of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him, which is about a million people that he had baptized over the span of just a few years. So he's a really, really big deal. And they asked him, so are you Elijah? And he's like, no. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet. We read this last week. This is uh, Isaiah 40. I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John says this, I baptize with water, but among you stands one that you don't know. He's the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This is that famous Prophecy of John the Baptist, where he says, You know, I'm baptizing you in water, but this guy's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. We talked a little bit about this last week, but um, when John is declaring, Prepare a way in the wilderness, all the Jews who are listening to him would know that phrase, Make straight a way for the Lord, Make make a straight path, or prepare a way in the wilderness. It's like a hyperlink. them. And when they click on that, they immediately link to the first exodus when uh, Israel was delivered from Pharaoh, from Egypt, and went through the Jordan into the promised land, which is another reason, like, John is actually standing in the Jordan River proclaiming this new exodus for not just Israel, but every human. And so this is a, this is a, a lot is going on behind the scenes that ancient Israel would understand that might be news to us. So the original exodus was this victory over the evil king, Pharaoh, where Yahweh leads the people out to freedom. But this new exodus would be Yahweh delivering us not just from Pharaoh or any kind of tyrannical ruler, but Satan, sin, and death. So John is declaring this new deliverance and the coming deliverer known as the Messiah And then this day comes when John sees Jesus and he points to him and says, behold, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And he says things like, now I must decrease, he must increase, I must decrease. And he's saying, that's the one who is coming, who's from before me, who is greater than me, whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie, this great deliverer has come. Now flip on over to uh, Mark, chapter one. This is written in about 70 AD. Uh, Recently, Paul and Peter were uh, martyred, and um, Mark is taking the time now to write down his account of the life of Jesus, and this is how he starts his gospel. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now these words probably sound really familiar to us, maybe like they don't have the A lot of potency. It just seems like a pretty normal phrase that we'd become accustomed to in the church, but they're actually like rife with provocative meaning uh, to an ancient Jew. These words, um, every single one of them is like a provocation, and they're meant to provoke ancient readers, and I want these words to provoke us again. So the good news. In Greek, that's ouangelion. Y'all you you all want to say it with me, euangelion? Uangelion. It means glad tidings or good news. It's where we get the word evangelism or evangelical or evangel, Uangelion. So it was used by the Roman emperor whenever he won a victory. He used evangelists, like euangelionists, <laughs> to go into the region and say, basically proclaim ahead of him that Caesar has won. That's his evangelist going into a region proclaiming this good news. So Mark, being the rabble rouser that he is, he's being stereotypically controversial and inflammatory and he's saying, I've got the euangelion. (laughs) I've got the best news ever and it's not about Caesar. It's about someone that Caesar killed that has come back from the dead. This is the one who has won the ultimate victory. This is the best news ever. And he calls him the Christ, which means the anointed one. So Jesus, the Christ, Christ has a special meaning also to people of that day and age. The, The anointed one to them, they would have immediately thought of King David, the anointed king, the conquering king. He's this ruler that's the most famous in Israel's history. But Mark is shifting. He's taking that phrase and assigning it to a man named Jesus with an even deeper meaning. And then he says that he's the son of God. So we think, like today we think, yeah, of course, Jesus, we know that. Like he's, he's the son of God. But again, back then, this is a highly provocative statement. Son of God was a a common term back in those days, but it was a Roman imperial title. The emperor was called the son of God. It's because uh, Julius Caesar was declared a god, and every emperor that comes after him was called a son of God. And so here's Paul Using a a, a term that's just reserved for emperors to describe the one true king. This this term that was just reserved as as a sign of divine status for these earthly kings, he's assigning to the actual divine king. So Mark is saying, with like this suggestive attitude, You might think that Caesar is the son of God or like the son of God, but I know the son of God, the one whom they killed, who's raised from the dead. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, and he is the ruler of all nations. And it's time that we begin to heed the words of John the Baptist and Jesus himself, where he says, repent. In other words, change the way you think because the kingdom of God has come. He uses that phrase, the kingdom, all the time because... God is trying to telegraph. Jesus is trying to help us understand that a kingdom that transcends any earthly boundary has come, a kingdom that will have no end has come, and he is the ruler of that kingdom, and we no longer bow down to earthly kings. We bow down to the one and only king that no matter what your birth certificate says, no matter what nation you're born in, you are part of a kingdom that transcends all of those boundaries. Amen? So we're in this Advent season and Advent means coming or arrival and implicit implicit in the word Advent is that we would be waiting, right? We'd be preparing and we would be expecting, anticipating this arrival of this notable person. And so we pray and we prepare and we wait and those who wait, we're gonna be strengthened. St. Augustine said that God sometimes delays because he wants the heart of the prayer to expand so as to receive the magnitude of what God actually wants to give. So we think that we're praying for something, but God actually wants to go above and beyond that and give us something that exceeds those expectations And it's in the process of praying and continuing to pray and waiting and continuing to wait that it's almost as if our heart dilates similar to what happens in the birthing process to make way for the room, the magnitude of what God wants to bring into our lives. Right now, if your kids are anything like my kids, they are very excited. They're waiting, they're hoping, they're praying, they're forming lists, and they are checking it thrice. And (laughs) they... They're really excited about this morning that is coming called Christmas morning, and they're excited about, you know, the the stuff, and they're excited about the time together, and they're excited about the traditions, and um, when when they get to that morning, y'all know the joy that you see on their faces is, it's like Transcendent. It's beauty. It's it's amazing. It's divine. There's like a million YouTube videos that you can click on to see kids flipping out and like blowing a fuse in their brain when they open the, the package that they wanted. You know what I mean? The joy that filled the hearts of people like John the Baptist, of people like Simeon in the temple, of people like Anna in the temple. Could you imagine being Simeon? And having this prophecy from the Holy Spirit where you knew that before you died, your natural eyes would see the Messiah. Or like Anna, who she was either 84 years old or she had been widowed for 84 years. Either way, she was old, okay? And she had been in the temple, every, it said every day. Every day she's been praying, she's been fasting, she's been waiting because she also believed that she would see the Messiah. Could you imagine that kind of Christmas morning, Simeon, this old prophetic dude, saw Joseph and Mary walk into the temple with eight-day-old Jesus, and he's like like the witness that came over him, the joy that came over him when he sees the very thing he's been desiring all his life. He even says, I can die happy now. That's, that's the joy that was bursting in, in his heart. And same thing with Anna, sweet Anna, just waiting. I don't know what she, how, how she was fasting, but if she was like 100 years old, we got to figure out what fast that was. <laughs> There's a joy that we can experience from the Holy Spirit that's like that that any moment the Holy Spirit can again awaken our hearts to the gravity of the good news that has come to us. Today, churches around the world are reading these three passages, uh, the traditional liturgical readings. I think I told you all that I'm... I'm kind of on a journey with y'all of discovering some of the like, historical and traditional parts of Advent because I grew up a super non-traditional, super non-denominational kid. And so I've really been enjoying diving back into these traditions. And so the three passages today are from Zephaniah 3, Isaiah 12, and Philippians 4. And guess what? They all have to do with just throwing a raucous party because the most joyful thing has happened so turn to uh, Zephaniah 3:14. This is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. Zephaniah 3:14 through 20. We're going to go through these things, we're going to pray and then we're going to go have a great lunch, okay? Sing, O daughter of Zion, Shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments." He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear. Zion, don't let your hands be weak. The Lord, your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And this is God saying, I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you, to whom its reproach is a burden, behold at that time, I will deal with all who afflict you, I will save the lame, I will gather those who are driven out, I will appoint for them praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time, I will bring you back, even at the time I will gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among the peoples of the earth. When I return, your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Now let's flip to Isaiah 12. Bible gymnastics today. Isaiah 12, verse 2 Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord Himself, is my strength and my defense, He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Flip to Philippians 4. That's a fun phrase. Flip to Philippians. I want, to, I want us just to take a moment to realize that these three verses that we're reading as a community the worldwide body right now is reading these same verses today in this moment so I, like i want you to feel like connected in a way to the worldwide the greater faith the faith of jesus that's been handed down for generations because literally on the other side of the planet don't bother me with time zones on the other side of the planet <laughs> there are people <laughs> reading these same verses okay this is philippians 4:4 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guys, let's pray together. Father, increase this joy that the Savior has come is in our midst and is coming again. We remember you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill us with even more wonder and awe than we've ever experienced. Show us the magnitude of your arrival and the grandeur of this good news. Make us ambassadors, messengers of joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah.